I'm Lindsay Berra, and welcome to Food of the Gods, a podcast that explores how elite athletes eat and train to fuel performance. In these Influencers editions, we'll feature athletes, strength and conditioning coaches, nutritionists, and others who promote a healthy and active lifestyle and inspire others to be their best through content shared on their social media platforms. This is part two of our conversation with certified trainer Ebenezer Samuel, fitness director at Men's Health Magazine, and head of training innovation at Flexit Fitness. Samuel believes the gym is a place where every person can do amazing things. Each week, he shares at least three workouts with specific explanations and detailed form tips with his over 330,000 Instagram followers. Samuel exposes people to different ideas and styles of training in ways that excite them and keep them interested, while also countering some of the bad fitness information that exists on social media. He aims to cover all fitness bases, getting people to accelerate, decelerate, move laterally and rotationally to make them stronger and fitter, but also better prepared for life. Samuel does all the workouts himself with the personal goal of adding full body muscle and strength to look and feel like a superhero. When training for the zombie apocalypse, what does a week of workouts look like for you? How do you split up your workouts? Um, I, I try to, so, so I, I use a basic functional split. Um, I will go on, I tried a couple of things. One as a, a base for this, I try to, I try to think of training as, as moving and I want to move seven days a week. I try to divide my workouts into, I want to have at least three to four days where I'm really pushing my central nervous system. Um, and then my recovery days, quote unquote, I have one recovery day. I, where I'm not going to really tax my central nervous system at all. Um, and then the, you know, so it's, it's, it's basically, I'm trying to alternate, I'm trying to make sure I balance between giving my CNS enough recovery, enough rest, and then pushing it really hard. Um, and then I try in the ideal world, I want to go twice a day, at least three to four times a week. And that's kind of how I build my conditioning into things and also make sure I'm maintaining athleticism. The strength thing I came up in, in, you know, gymnastics. And the first thing I ever learned in the, in the gym when I started going was basic bodybuilding. And so that's kind of always been my home and my center. And I make sure to get in, you know, six to seven, you know, good kind of, you know, that's the backbone of what I do. And then all the other stuff kind of comes off of that. So with that in mind, I try to, I go Sunday, I'll go legs, lower body. So I'm covering, you know, I'm, I'm, that's basically my real high CNS day. Um, and that's the day where I'm going to, you know, deadlift and I'm going to get in all my other leg motions. I will actually do a deadlift lighter on my next day because Monday is back day. So I'll lead off with some kind of hinge motion. I think you can never hinge enough in life, especially because we sit so much and you can never have glutes that are so that are super, that are, you, your glutes can never be too strong. Um, so that second day is a pull day um, where I'll lead with the hinge. I'll hit a bunch of, you know, row motions, pull-ups, et cetera. And then I'll train biceps because that's obviously my accessory. Um, when, and, and, you know, it's my problem. Obviously. <laughs> um, Tuesday, I will push. I think it's really important and underrated to, you, we, we need to pull more than we push. So by, if I'm going hard on all my days, but the reality is I need a little, I, I'm never fully optimal for my push day, but that's a good thing, right? Because it means, um, it means I'm never going to, it's going to help me prevent myself from getting in balance between push strength and pull strength. So I pull, I push on Tuesdays, um, Wednesday, I'll go back to legs, um, but a little bit more unilateral. So 
on that day one leg workout, I may, you know, I, I'll deadlift and squat on that day two leg workout. I'm going to deadlift and I may go to like a heavy Bulgarian and, you know, then some body weight ideas like a sissy squat and a reverse Nordic. Um, and then Thursday I'll do a light back workout. So that's kind of one of my lower CNS days. That's today. And then I'll train biceps again. Friday is my big upper body day. It's, it's one of my most fun workouts. It's push pull supersets. So this is, and this is an example of, of muscle cardio, if you will, because you're going, we're working fast tempos, still trying to train heavy. Um, but you're going from like a machine row to a heavy dumbbell press, you know, with, uh, you know, 60, 65 seconds rest in between. And then you're going from an incline press to an incline. It's, it's one of my favorite workouts to program. That's one of my favorite workouts to do. And it's the last hard workout of the week because then Saturday is arm day. And while I used to think arm day was like the backbone of my routine, all arm day really is, is it's accessory work. I'm never picking up a load more heavier than like 50 pounds. And, you know, I'm just getting a pump and my heart rate almost never gets over like 115. And that's pretty much my main workout split. Then three to four days a week, I'll get in, you know, like 20 minutes of, you know, chief or chief or some kind of Metcon. Um, usually I try to alternate between the skier. Uh, I'll try to alternate between sprints, um, on an assault treadmill. Um, and then I'll, I'll kind of do some change of direction, fun stuff in the backyard where I'm just kind of, you know, it's like you hit like karaoke's, you know, you do high knees, you do butt kicks, you do broad jumps. And I'll just, I'll kind of mix up what I do on there. I've got some hurdles back there too. So I can kind of get, make sure that I'm moving in a couple of different planes. Um, one of the fun things I'll do in that when it gets nice out is I'll take the hurdles, I'll take like some chairs. And I'll set them up. And I, I, I think problem solving is really important from a change of direction perspective. So essentially I'm running, my wife think, probably thinks I'm nuts, but I'm essentially running like pass routes by myself with nobody that don't need the ball. I need friends. So you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. if anyone wants to go to Eb house, Eb's house and throw him some routes. But so your cardio is basically you're doing the very athletic, very explosive kind of shorter burst stuff. You're not, we won't catch you going for a five mile run. Yeah. And I think, I think, but I, I think, it, I think philosophically, one of the mistakes people make um, in their training is they look at cardio as this thing that it's like, okay, I just want to burn calories for like a half hour and do the same thing over and over. And there are so many bases that we can cover in our fitness that are worth covering, you know, moving laterally, moving rotationally from side to side. There's so, I think there are just more effective and useful ways that we can get that same calorie burn and maybe get more of it and make ourselves better for life. Right. And so that's why I try to stay away from a five mile run is great, but it's, it's literally the same thing over and over and over for each step. And that's not necessarily, if, if, if we're thinking about kind of just the overall like opportunity cost of our time, right? There's a, I think there's a better way to do cardio than that five minute run. That's also going to fill in the blanks of life and, you know, get you changing directions, get you changing velocities, get you stopping and de or decelerating and then accelerating um, and get you ready for, you know, that game of tag that you're going to play with your, with your six-year-old son and your seven-year-old daughter, where you're going to be smoked if all you did is that five-mile run. It's funny because we were talking about that earlier today in, in the office. I was trying to point out to somebody that as adults, we tend to think surviving like a game of tag with our kids basically amounts to, oh, well, you know, we hit our cardio, right? 
but if you have ever, if you ever play a game of tag um or maybe i just play tag weird but if you ever play a game of tag it's like there's a lot of change of direction you're gonna stop you're gonna it's basically kind of like a game of basketball by yourself with two other people without a ball and and most people because they think of cardio as going for a run they never do that change of direction and then they make a quick cut in their front yard and the poor person tears their achilles or something so if exactly. you you've got to change or train the range of motion if you're going to use it because when you get forced into it things don't go well if you're not prepared <laughs> yeah and fitness is such a fitness is such a lose it use it or lose it proposition right and i think what we underestimate about cardio and this is kind of i feel like this is my my one of my rants for 2022 just in the back of my mind and as i'm prepping workouts for people or whatever um one of the things we mistake about cardio is again it's like you can get your heart rate up in in multiple ways but we're only doing we're only getting our heart rate up if we if we get on the elliptical or if we get on the treadmill and we just walk or you know if we go for that five mile run that's the only thing we're really training right but there's so many things that we don't get to do in life, whether that's hopping on one foot, um, you know, or, or, you know, skater lunges, or even the things we did as a kid that we thought were simple, a basic game of hopscotch become not so simple if we haven't worked those muscles and we haven't moved in that way in five to 10 years. One of the coolest stories we did at myself was actually the story that you did, I think, on fascia, oh, because... Yeah. <laughs> It, but it was, and to me, the maintenance of your fascia, the thing, the takeaway you walk away with from that story, because I think most people think of fascia as, hey, it's the stuff you foam roll, right? But the takeaway from the fascia story to me was it's, it's that much more important. And I think we know it's important if you're in fitness, but it's important for the average person to change directions, to change velocities, and to change up their training. You know, that's where variability does have a place in a workout because as much as it's cool to do you know the push-up the sit-up and the squat mixing things up helps bulletproof your body and that i think is one of the great things that crossfit has done for all the things where crossfit i don't necessarily agree with it one of the great things crossfit did is it got people moving in a lot of ways and is willing to kind of mix up those you know mix up the motions i think that's really important the story that Ev's talking about, if uh, I don't remember the headline, but if you Google my name, Lindsay Berra and Fascia, it'll pop up on, on men's health. And the idea is that, yes, you have to move in different planes of motion to keep your fascia system, system healthy and your fascia, you know, it should look like a, a pretty, like, hexagonally kind of grid and when you don't use it it looks like matted nasty velcro and it becomes brittle and it leads to all these injuries it encases your muscles and your tendons and and the idea as we age is we need to stay light and springy so we don't get hurt um yeah. but it was a cool story yeah fun thanks for the plug um <laughs> so you're moving you said you're moving seven days a week and you have you know you mentioned kind of a recovery workout is there anything that you do for actual recovery um i tried so i try to get again you have these secondary workouts right and i try to i think it's just i think it's important to kind of just do good body weight movement and spend some time moving my body weight so i try to get i try to inject you know and it's cool because we work from home now so i think that's one thing that's helped me I try to make sure that I'm getting up every hour or so and I'll hit some really basic stuff like cat cow, um, Spider-Man lunges, um, pigeon stretches. Just, I think that, I think that movement is really, really important. So I do that. Um, 
daily as much as I can. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But I think just moving throughout the day is kind of the biggest tool for recovery. Then, you know, there's obviously dietary stuff. So I try to make sure that my diet is clean because I think that's, you know, I drink a whole ton of water, even though for this entire podcast, I haven't grabbed a sip of the water that I made a point to bring down here. Um, There you go. Um, I need to do that next. But um, I, uh, I drink a whole ton of water. I try to eat pretty clean, get my protein. I think diet is a huge part of recovery. One thing I've been really into this year is getting cherry juice in after my workout because there's, it's so high in antioxidants. Um, so I try to do that. And then I think it's really, really important to find ways to downregulate your CMS. And this is different for everybody. For me, um, or maybe my wife will question this, but for me, it, you know, I, I'll play video games at the end of the night. Right. And it's because it kind of, it's relaxing in a weird way, or maybe I think it is to, you know, boot up call of duty, but, um, you know, I'll do that. And then, um, things like the, like the, like the compression, I'll put on the like Normatec compression boots. I'll try to stim something. I try to, I get a lot of recovery toys in my role at men's health and I try to take advantage of all of them. I almost try to make sure that I'm rotating through all of them throughout the week, because again, just stuff that down regulates my CNS gets me out of that, that mode of, of, of needing to, you know, put in work and, and being in that mindset and just feels relaxing. I think it's really, really important. I think this is a good point you make because a lot of people talk about like things like yoga as a recovery, but if you don't like yoga and yoga stresses you out, it's not going to downregulate your central nervous system. If playing video games is meditative for you and it downregulates your central nervous system, then it's actually better than yoga. It just kind of depends what works for you and people need to figure that out. Yeah. It's because I, there was a period where I was doing, there was a period maybe about three years ago where I was doing a lot of cryo and I made, so, and, and two things weren't working for me for that because I, I thought that was my recovery. You know, it's like you get in there, it's, you're in there for like what, 120 seconds or something like minutes, that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, exactly. What, but whatever it is, it wasn't working for me in two ways. Okay. The first way it wasn't working for me is I really, really like, I just get nervous or in the cold. And so I wasn't really relaxing. I was just trying to survive it. And I hated every single second I was in there. Um, and you know, that, that wasn't so bad, but the second way it was really hurting me is I was, I was, I'm, I'm really busy in general. I was really busy and I was trying to like squeeze it in. So on, on a Saturday I would be like, okay, today is cryo day. And I'd be stressing out like the entire day. Like, how am I going to get there? Cause I have all this stuff. I've got to squeeze it in. I've got to fight through traffic and all this stuff. Um, and so it wasn't working for me. And I think that's when I realized that that's when I realized, okay, this isn't, maybe it's, it's working as I'm actually doing the crowd, but the, the stuff I have to go through to get there is, is not working. And I think that's actually the, the issue people run with all these recovery toys. It's like, okay, I have to stim, you know, I have the compression boots, I have the massage gun, I've got to use it all or I'm not recovering. Right? And it's really, no, just kind of use what's working, use what's working for you, keep it simple and make sure that it's not giving you anxiety. Because if your recovery, if your recovery protocol is giving you anxiety, it's probably not working. <laughs> so you mentioned um, how important you think nutrition is to recovery. Do you follow a particular type of diet? Um, I do not, I do not follow a particular type of diet. And in general, I think, I think a lot, I think the types of diets, there was a really good thing 
that I believe Precision Nutrition did. And it's a chart that you can find somewhere. But the, the types of diets really work in general, just because they give somebody a plan, right? And I think that's what that's whether it's paleo or keto or whatever, the fact that you some that there's some kind of coordinated plan that you can stick to is kind of what works about a diet in general. So my diet is kind of custom built and it works for me. Um, my goal, because, and again, keep in mind, my goal is to look as jacked as possible and I've got all these workouts going on. So I, I know like I'm going to like plow through calories, but my, uh, based on that, I'm trying to make sure to hit my protein um, to hit my protein requirements. I know I can only metabolize so much protein in every meal. So I'm trying to spread that out and make sure, you know, I'm hitting around my 160, 180 grams, um, in, in every single day to do that. Um, I basically, and I also know that I need like plenty of fuel just throughout the day. Right. So to do that, I don't think of breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I basically think meal one, meal two, meal three, meal four, meal five. And my goal is for as long as I'm awake, I keep very weird hours. And that's from our, our old profession covering sports games. Um, I keep really weird hours. As long as I'm awake, I want to make sure that I'm fueling my body every two and a half hours. Right. And so from the moment, the moment I wake up, I'm going to have a protein shake. Um, and I'll have like a scoop of almond butter or peanut butter two and a half hours after that, I'm going to have. Uh, that's when I should. And one of the things about not ascribing to breakfast, lunch, and dinner is it makes it really, really easy. Like I just see protein, carbs, and and fat. So I don't necessarily see, oh, because what I'm going to tell you next is probably around like 8.30. And it's definitely not a breakfast for most people, but I'll have, you know, four to six ounces of salmon, two to four ounces of this uh, awesome sardine curry that my mom makes for me. Um, I'll have about four ounces of either white or brown rice. And then I'll have three ounces of either a zucchini or a broccoli. And I'm going to do that. And, and I'll have that every two and a half. I'll have that, you know, around eight thirty, around 11 o'clock. I'll have something similar to that. I'll have, cause I, I, the other thing is I'm also completely comfortable to eat the same thing over and over and over again. I have, I have no compunction against that. Um, so the other, I'll have something similar to that around 11. I'll do three eggs, hard boiled, um, another two ounces of that sardine curry because that flavors everything and it keeps my meals from being incredibly boring. And then I'll do another four ounces of white or brown rice. Usually that one is white rice. Two and a half hours after that, I'm back to the same salmon sardine meal I had before. <laughs> um, two and a half hours after that, um, back to the same egg meal. And I'll basically alternate that throughout the day. There are, sometimes it's a little different, like on a shoot day, it can be really, really hard to eat. And on a shoot, if we're having a video shoot, um, it can be hard to eat. And also, you know, I can't, it, it's not always easy to travel with stuff. Um, but they order, they order meals. So I just try to choose wherever they order from and they kind of notice that men's health just make sure they have salmon because then I can figure out my life. If, if they don't have salmon, I feel lost, but in general, they always have salmon. So I'll just get whatever salmon there is on the menu and I'll find some kind of complex carb to put with it, whether that's a brown rice or a sweet potato or quinoa or something like that. Um, and then throughout the day, the other piece of my diet, um, the only thing I do post, I don't overthink my post with meal anymore. So my post with meal is very similar to exactly what I described to you. I'll just have my cherry juice after that. And then throughout the day, I'm just drinking water. Drink. I, I do not believe humans can drink enough water. 
So I would just carry a bottle with me wherever I am, work to continue to refill it, um, and just drink as much water as I, as I possibly can. The goal is obviously to make sure I'm over a gallon. I don't care how much over a gallon I am. Um, and again, on shoot days, I fall a little bit short. Shoot days are, are hard. You don't just carry snacks like in your duffel bag to the shoot days or a Tupperware of mom sardine curry? <laughs> I actually do. I bring, I do bring a Tupperware of, um, I bring, I always bring salmon, sardines, rice, zucchini with me. Um, <laughs> but it's just, you know, you know how things get though. Sometimes like, sometimes like you lose track a little bit. Um, so sometimes it can be, sometimes it can be hard or you just miss them. The only days I miss meals are, are shoot days. It's funny. Cause when I used to do giants, right. When I used to do giants and NBA games and stuff like that, I was the weird guy who I would show up, you, you know, it's like an eight hour day covering a Yankee game. Right. Yeah. So I would show up with 10 hours worth of food. Um, initially when I started do, when I started covering the Yankees, because, uh, for people who don't know, it's like, you always start covering baseball at the New York Daily News. I hate baseball if it's not fantasy baseball, but, um, I hate baseball because it's a long day, but I would, I would go with 10, um, of the, the myoplex protein shakes or the muscle milk because <laughs> I knew I could guzzle them easier. Right. And that was like very, very kind of young novice understanding of nutrition because the quality of protein in in that shape just isn't the same as um as real food and i remember i was not making the kind of the progress i wanted to in the gym so i talked to i asked this really big bodybuilder guy at a gym i was going to at the time in the bronx called star fitness i was like why why is this not working he's like what, what I'm, I'm like i'm i go hard in the gym but i'm not growing i'm not building muscle i'm also not getting any stronger and he's like, well, what are you eating? And I was like, well, I'll have like 10 protein shakes a day. Um, <laughs> and he was like, well, well, there's your problem because, you know, basically I'm, you're missing out on so many amino acid profiles, um, on so many good fats, on so many other things. Vegetables. Um, exa exactly. Yeah. Um, so it's like I, I was hitting the protein thing because coming up when you're growing up, it's like, okay, you know, you have to hit your protein if you want to grow. But the other stuff I was missing and I was, and so then I started taking, like, even when we, when we would be on the road, I would take eggs, like hard boiled eggs or scrambled eggs or whatever, because the one thing when you're at that game is obviously, you know, it's like, you're paying attention to the game. You know, you know how those things are. Um, you got to run down to the locker room and all this stuff. So I, you know, you need something quick that you can eat and then you can focus on writing your story. So I started being the weird guy who would bring, like six, like six different Tupperwares of, you know, four scrambled eggs each. And <laughs> by the time I was eating at the end of the game, that scrambled eggs was so cold and so disgusting, but you know, it also hit the protein mark a little better. It is really funny because covering sports. And again, I worked at ESPN magazine for 13 years and major league baseball for five. You're at games. It's all day. And you do become the person with the food in your purse. For me, I didn't bring, I used to bring hard boiled eggs. I used to bring those little individual baby bell cheeses. I had all manner of different protein bars. I would have like a bag of like baby carrots, cucumbers and um, chopped up broccoli, but there was always something in my bag. And it came to, it got to the point like where even if I wasn't working, like if I was just out with friends or something for the day and someone got hungry, they would say, oh, go <laughs> ask Lindsay. She always has food in her purse. <laughs> but it was, funny. It, 
it was also um, uniquely aspirational to like a, a, an easy way to stick to your diet, right? Because yeah. because you're going to you have all this work going on, et cetera. But but at the same time, when you go down to the locker room, you're going to see Victor Cruz without his shirt off. And, or you're going to, and it's like, that's what I want to be, right? Or you're going to watch Odell Beckham make a fantastic catch in the game. And it's like, that's what I want to be. That's why I'm doing this. So there's always kind of like this back end. If you were willing to accept it, there was always this back end motivation that, okay, this is why I'm eating that way. Cause I want to work. I want to perform. I want to look like those guys. So it kind of made it easy in a way. If you're, if you're a fitness nerd. Unless you go down there and you realize that the post-game meal is baked ziti and <laughs> garlic bread. Wait, exactly. <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? Because when all those guys, um, when all those guys are, first of all, the two, the two things I learned about pros, especially once I started training them, right? Um, the two things I learned are, one, a lot of the, those guys aren't programming their own stuff. They have, behind every, behind every one of those guys who goes from running a four seven forty yard dash to a four three is a, a trainer who helped them figure out the technique and you know it, it doesn't happen overnight those guys so i think that was definitely a misconception that i had i just was going in when i started covering sports i was just like you know these guys just make up their own workouts and that's how they're brilliant no there was a trainer behind them. um yeah and then the second thing is when you're burning so when you're burning through so many calories because you practice and you've got, you know, and then you've got, you've got morning shoot around, then you've got shoot around before the game, then you play the game. When you're, when you're burning through so many calories, you can eat whatever the heck you want, which I think is why a lot of guys, it, it takes them a while to figure it out after they're done with their playing days that they have to eat a little bit more controlled. Yeah. I was going to ask you after so many years around pros training with pros and training pros, what do you think are the things, the biggest things that separate pro athletes and us normal folks? I think it's two things. Um, I think one, it, it, there's a level of, of, of natural gift, right? Yeah. Like you, yeah. Like, like you don't, not all of us are going to be six three two seventeen like, like Terrell Owens, who's, who's he's a guy I worked, I've worked with on, on Flexer before. Um, so there's definitely a level of, of natural gift and they can, I think physiologically, a lot of these athletes can get away with more than some of us can in terms of, in terms of, you know, bad form, um, you know, in terms of, you know, be, maybe being a little shaky with their power clean. Um, I think we need to do, I would love for somebody in fitness to do a little bit more research into that, because I think if you, you know, if, if you think about just kind of, you know, how tendons are structured, how our joints, how our joints are structured, like, if you're, if you're somebody who doesn't have a whole ton of space, for example, between your, your, your humerus and your clavicle, if you just don't have a whole ton of joint space in there, you've got to be that much perfect with your clean, right? I think if, I, and again, this is all theoretical, but I think on some level, um, a lot of these athletes are just ideally built for the, th there's a level of self-selection that takes place, right? Like five, nine and a half is probably not going to play in the NBA. So um, the guys, the guys who are there, you know, there's something about their build that kind of works. So I think there's natural gift to it, but then I also think it's just, it's an ability and a desire to, to put in work and to refine technique and to be able to pick some of that up. Right. Because I can tell somebody, you know, I can tell like somebody 17 times, you know, you've got to drive your knees higher when you're sprinting, but the, the natural athlete and the athlete who's going to wind up being more successful is going to get it. 
the person, to be honest, like me, may take a lot longer to pick that up and I'll eventually pick it up, right? But the athlete is going to get it. And I think it, it's an ability to kind of know your body well enough. Um, and I think a lot of that, there, there has been a little bit of, of research into this. A lot of that comes when, or a lot of that is built when, when you're younger, right? And maintained when you're, when, when you're younger. Like if, you, if you've done a lot of different motions when you were a kid, not necessarily in sports, just when you were playing around with friends or, you know, when you're playing catch with dad, if you've, if you've, if you've placed your body in a variety of different positions, you're that much more ready to make adjustments when somebody asks you to make adjustments and find a new position because you're like, Oh, I've been there versus, you know, the kid who sits on his couch all day when he turns 35, it's going to be that much harder for, you know, me to be like, okay, now you're going to do a lateral lunge and you've got to put your mm. butt back. Well, how does this happen? So I think that's, you know, that's something we're going to encounter I think that's something we're going to see in a lot of athletes or a common thread you're going to see in a lot of athletes as they're coming up now is the really, really good ones, you know, did a lot of different things when they were kids. Yeah. You, uh, they are all sort of genetic outliers and, and, you know, they, they, they hit the gene lottery when it comes to their athleticism and a lot of times being able to eat food, especially when they're younger. But then you see a lot of the athletes as they get into their thirties, kind of realizing that they need to start refining their nutrition. And then it all comes full circle for everybody, obviously. Um, I, I want to go back and just ask you, since you're eating so much salmon and, and your mom's sardines, I know you do occasionally sit on your couch and eat Oreos. So how often <laughs> do you let yourself have those, uh, cheat meals? Yeah, I think, um, I, so that's, uh, that's my, that's my sat. So two days, um, one, I will, I will occasionally spike my cow. I'll spike my calories. So legs are very just high output day in terms of how many calories I'm going to build or I'm going to burn the loads I'm moving, et cetera. So on that day I will do on, on Sundays and sometimes on Wednesdays, I will do a high protein French toast, which with, um, as, as just, I'll, I'll swap out basically usually it's my third meal for a high protein French toast. And that also includes some fruit too. It's good to kind of get, you know, it's good to kind of, it's always good to get color on the plate. Um, so that's one day. And then, yeah, well, that's two days potentially. Sometimes I don't do it on Wednesday because again, it's a little bit of a lighter leg day. Um, and then Saturdays are what I consider um, cheat days. And so on that day, I will, um, I want to continue to respect my water intake. So I'm still going to drink water all day. Like all I drink is water. I don't know why. I, it's funny because when I was a kid, all I drank was Mountain Dew. And my oh, mom God. was like, you have to drink your water. Yeah, I was one of those kids. Um, like, you remember like the Mountain Dew cubes? Like that was like my college life, right? It's like battery um, acid. Exactly. Yeah, it's so awful. And now, but now it's just water all the time. So I will continue to respect my water intake on Saturdays. I will continue to respect my protein intake on Saturdays, but that's the day where, you know, in addition to, you know, my salmon and my rice or whatever, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll have a couple Oreos, you know, or I'll have a piece of cheesecake um, or I'll have, you know, like a burger that that's a day I may swap a burger in and fries for, you know, my meal five on that day um, or pizza. My wife likes pizza. So sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll mess around in that sandbox. The funny part is depending on how I, I try to not restrict anything on that day, you know, if I'm going to cheat a couple of times. It's okay. Again, I'm burning a lot of calories just throughout my, you know, I'm, I, I train hard. So I'm, I'm, I'm not too worried about the calorie intake or having a couple of six calories there. But 
the funny thing is when I wake up on Sundays, it, or when I wake up on Sunday, depending on how badly I ate on Saturday, I feel the worst I have on Sundays. Like I just don't, I feel more sluggish than anything, which I think is, which I think just, just shows how, like if, if you, if you clean up your diet and then you have some of this like bad stuff or this, this processed stuff, like it, it, it can affect your body. It's, it's crazy. So you keep saying that you train a lot. Full disclosure, people, it is 10.27 p.m. right now on a Thursday night. And I know I have to let Eb go because what are you going to go do? <laughs> I got to do, do biceps and some core work. And some core. So how long is that workout going to be? Um, it, it, to be honest, it's not bad. I'm going to, um, I'm going to, I'll probably turn on the NFL draft, watch the end of it, unless it's over. Um, but you know, and, uh, it, it'll be like, it'll be like, uh, 25. So it's only accessory. So it's not bad. I did that. I did the hard part earlier. And how, how often are you doing these two a days in the middle of the night? Um, you, uh, to be honest, special for you. Like I would have, <laughs> I would have, I would have put this all in one workout, but, um, but you know, the day I, I've just got, I've definitely gotten better at like breaking things up. It helps to have a garage gym. It helps when you have things at home that you can kind of use. So. We were talking about that a little bit earlier about how if you want to get in a workout, you know, if you only have 10 minutes, it's better than no minutes. Obviously, you've programmed this and you're doing it late at night. But for just normal people, if you if you can get it in, get it in. <laughs> yeah, ex exactly. I think that's the that's been that's been the shift. If you go back to what we were talking about at the very start here about the issues in fitness, that's the shift that I think fitness needs to make and is making, which is like motion is motion, right? It doesn't, you know, even if it's not necessarily coming in the form of four sets of 10 on the incline press or four sets of you know, 12 on perfect biceps curls, motion is motion and motion is good for people. So I think the, the bare minimum that we've seen scientifically is what a Tabata. So that's eight, that's eight minutes, yes. right? Mm -hmm. Um, and Tabata can be really, really effective at, you know, building, um, building your aerobic system, building, you know, pushing you to be explosive, et cetera, as long as you're going to go hard. Um, but I think even beyond that, it's like, yeah, as long as you can get, I think those moments where even you get up and just do five minutes of stretching, all those moments. And even if you go back to our discussion of fascia, all those moments are like you and me right now, we've, we've been talking for like an hour. It's like, we kind of should have like been stretching some of this time yes. because our fascia is setting in. Yes. One of the, I think the coolest thing about the fascia story was how reactive fascia is in terms of, Yes, it can set in and a lot of bad stuff can happen in this hour. But as long as we take the time to maintain it, it can also um, it can also be optimized fairly quickly. So, yeah. Yes, 100%. So, all right, I'm going to go stretch my fascia. You're going to go work out your biceps and watch the uh, NFL draft. And I uh, thank you so much for chatting with me tonight. Just real quick, tell everybody where they can follow you on the social media um at ebenezer samuel 23 is my instagram and i have a tiktok but to be honest i don't remember it so yeah. <laughs> people will find it all yeah, right thanks also, so much also also i was gonna say um before i forget uh mh muscle on youtube um that's our new men's health channel so check that out too yeah, yeah ebs on there doing all kinds of workouts if you want to if, if you're looking for workout activities if you only followed eb samuel he would keep you busy for a really long time <laughs> Thanks so much to Ebenezer Samuel for joining us on Food of the Gods. Be sure to follow him on Instagram at, at Ebenezer Samuel 23. You can also follow Men's Health Magazine at, at Men's Health Mag and Flexit Fitness at, at Flexit underscore fitness. 
Until next time, for more information on Food of the Gods or to download other episodes, visit us at foodofthegodspodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at at foodofthegodspod or email us at foodofthegodspodcast at gmail.com. Food of the Gods is a Digitant Podcast production. Thank you.